0: Please pray with me. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name for Jesus' sake. Amen. Towards the end of his life, the ancient Greek poet Anacreon wrote this My temples are already grey and my head is white. Graceful youth is no more with me. My teeth are old, and no long span of sweet life remains now. And so I often weep in fear of Tartarus, for the recess of Hades is grim, and the road down to it grievous. And it is certain that he who goes down does not come up again." Even though he wrote two and a half thousand years ago, and some of his feelings still resonates. The feeling that youth is graceful and old age painful. The feeling that life is sweet and death bitter. And the feeling that death is frightening. A lot of people think that once we're dead, there's no coming back. But I think it's harder for us moderns to be so open about death. Uh, Anacreon is honest about his fear and mourning. Uh, We prefer not to think about death. Uh, We ignore death's inevitability. Uh, We try to science our way out of it, Uh, but death isn't going anywhere. It's unavoidable and all-devouring. It is certain that he who goes down does not come up again. But is death really the end? Praise God that we can confidently answer no. True, death is unavoidable, but equally unavoidable is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. As Bishop Edwards made clear last Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus is both reasonable and life-changing we can confidently believe the tomb was truly, really empty. And by believing in Jesus who rose from the dead, we can have life in his name and so be freed from the fear of death. The resurrection of Jesus is such great news uh, that we've decided to explore its meaning in more depth. To do that, we'll spend two weeks considering Psalm 16 and Psalm 116. Uh, These songs are about God delivering people from death, but they're also prophetic. They look forward to God delivering the dead. That, at least, is how the early apostles preached them. So we read in these ancient songs the promise of Jesus's victory over the grave and human salvation from death. My hope for this two-week study in the Psalms is that you will be greatly encouraged by God's commitment to crush death and to save his people. Uh, So let's begin by exploring Psalm 16. The question of who wrote this psalm is an easy one. David did. It's there in the title. And the fact that it's David's writing matters because of who David was. The significance of his identity we'll explore later on. Uh, But let's first see what David wrote. Uh, The song is a simple, heartfelt expression of David's confidence in God, his deliverer. Notice first David's utter dependence on God in verses 1 to 4. The song opens with a cry for help. Save me. Uh, It's actually an argument. David argues that God is obliged to help him. Save me because... I've taken refuge in you. I'm calling on you, God. I'm knocking at your door. Hear me. Let me in. And verse 2 explains why David is calling on God. David knows that all the good things that he has come from God. God alone is the source of goodness. Another translation of this verse is as a question Doesn't my welfare depend on you, Lord? In other words, David says, God, you're the one who is responsible for looking after me. Uh, Our 15-month-old daughter stretches out her hands uh, in our direction when she wants to be lifted up. I love the the clarity of the gesture. Pick me up, she says with her arms and her face. Uh, Likewise, David's intent is also crystal clear, Lord, Pick me up. In his childlike dependence on God, we also see David's loyalty. This man's life was filled with danger, threats, and betrayal. And yet, verse 4, David never gave in to the temptation to trust other gods. He always aligned himself, verse 3, with God's people, those who worshipped the Lord alone. David's dependence on God leads into delight. This is in verses 5 to 8. David uses the language of inheritance and feasting to tell of God's goodness to him. For the ancient Israelite, the land with its security and fruitfulness was typically their source of happiness. But here, David seems to count those goods as secondary. The first place goes to enjoying God himself. You Lord are my portion and my feast. David also praises God for other blessings in verses 7 to 8, such as guidance and security. As you and I know uh, well, especially now, uh, life is uncertain and decisions can be very difficult. We also know that joy doesn't come easily when we feel anxious. insecure but david can delight in good in god rather david can praise god because he directs and defends his life and then there's this final theme of the song deliverance reflecting on this psalm i was so struck by david's confident tone there's no sense of dread or doubt in his voice he's so assured of god's care even death loses its power to frighten david is convinced verse 10 that god will protect his life so he's glad and restful dependence delight deliverance it's a lovely encouraging song but it's more than that because this psalm is actually prophetic and david you probably know was king of israel but we heard in acts 2 that david was also a prophet listen to acts chapter 2 verses 30 to 31 peter preached david was a prophet and knew that god had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne seeing what was to come david spoke of the resurrection of the messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead nor did his body see decay the point is this jesus's rising from death declares his royal identity i'll say that again jesus's rising from death declares his royal identity often on easter day we emphasize jesus's defeat of death which is wonderfully true but if that's all we say we miss the whole picture. Jesus defeats death because of who he is, and who he is, is king. Now listen to the logic of the apostles. God won't abandon his holy king to the grave. Therefore, death can't keep hold of God's king. King David died, was buried, and his bones are still entombed, but Jesus has been risen. Or raised from the dead therefore Jesus not David is the Messiah God's promised king in other words the wait's over the longed-for promised King has come this is the testimony of the Apostles this is the message of the gospel Jesus has been confirmed as King because God raised him from death and now this isn't just Peter saying this though that alone would convince me it's also the teaching of the New Testament. Listen to what Paul preached in Acts 13. We tell, you the God, we tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it's written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it's also stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, Paul's logic is identical to Peter's. Jesus, raised from the dead, has assumed David's throne. But unlike David, Jesus will reign forever as God's true son. In my study at home, on top of the bookshelves, there's a portrait of a young woman in regalia. The woman portrayed is Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. Last Monday, the Queen gave a message of support to the United Kingdom. The Queen addressed the COVID-19 crisis, giving thanks to frontline workers. The Queen also endorsed the solidarity shown by all Britons. I was amused by some of the YouTube comments below the video. You know you're living through a huge historical event whenever Big Liz is making speeches. Another one read She shouldn't really be worried considering the fact she's immortal. But despite the prayer and the anthem, God save the Queen, Queen Elizabeth is mortal. The discrepancy between the lady in the portrait and the 93-year-old monarch increasingly shows. One day the Queen will die and her successor will reign in her place. But death can't cast its shadow over God's royal son. Raised from death, Jesus rules by the power of an indestructible life. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Well, if the resurrection declares that Jesus is king, what are the implications? i think the fact that jesus is king connects to the points we've already made in psalm 16. dependence delight and deliverance god is utterly dependable he said he would raise jesus from the dead and he did and because god is dependable god uh, david made god his refuge he knew there's no other place of safety. It's sometimes hard for you and me to believe this practically. Our society is so sophisticated. It's set up to minimise suffering and maximise convenience. And it's so effective, at least until recently. It's almost as if we'd forgot our own vulnerability. We have a democracy, an advanced economy, and modern science. But humans don't actually control the world. We can't. Now, I don't want to be glib. It's likely that some in our church family have been badly affected by this crisis. And maybe that's you. But that's even more reason for you and me to hear this message. We can depend on God, as hard as that might feel sometimes. The Psalms we've read these last couple of months remind us again and again that our help comes from the Lord. And he who raised Jesus to life is powerfully in control. So the question becomes, uh, will you and I depend on God alone? Uh, Will you and I acknowledge that our welfare depends entirely on him? And we can be more specific. Because Jesus is king, if you're doing okay right now, Maybe you can help those who are more in need. Because Jesus is king, if you're struggling and feeling weak, maybe you should humbly seek out and accept such help. Uh, That's how we can depend on God. That's how we can show loyalty to God's appointed king. Secondly, take delight in the Lord. As much as I admire the queen, she's still a distant monarch. I don't know her. And we don't have a relationship. But King Jesus knows me. King Jesus has a relationship with me. And in Jesus, I have something far better than a job, wine, takeaway meals, Netflix, extended family time, the NBN, which isn't that fast anyway. No earthly good, good as it might be, compares to Jesus. You are my portion and my cup wrote David. Earlier this week, I was reading an English translation of an early Lutheran hymn. I was almost overwhelmed by the strong affection the author expresses towards Jesus. Jesus, delight of my soul. Jesus, my best pleasure. Jesus, my son of joy. Jesus, it is well known to you how I love you from my heart and am distressed without you. Therefore, O Jesus, come to me and stay with me forever and ever. Jesus, my refuge and deliverer. Jesus, the ground of my confidence. Jesus, mighty trampler on the serpent. Jesus, light of my life. How my heart longs for you, dear Jesus, painfully. Come, ah, come, I wait for you. Come, O dearest Jesus. Brothers and sisters, warm your hearts by the fire of Jesus' great love for you. Finally, there's deliverance. In the year he died of esophageal cancer, the writer Christopher Hitchens wrote a piece for Vanity Fair about the loss of his voice. In that essay, he described his experience of cancer with an arresting phrase. 2011 was for him the year of living dyingly, living dyingly. Now perhaps that's how Anacreon felt in his old age. It is certain that he who goes down does not come up again. The resurrection overturns that completely. God delivered his son and our life and our death must be understood in light of that event. If God delivered Jesus, He can deliver you and me too. We must all face death, but look what God has provided in verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You'll fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Life, joy, and pleasure in God's presence have been made available. But those blessings, come only through the risen King Jesus. The English minister, Mark Ashton, died of inoperable cancer 10 years ago at Easter time. Drawing great comfort from the resurrection of Jesus in facing his own death, Ashton wrote, Jesus's resurrection from the dead was God's definitive act to approve Jesus's life and death. It said to everyone, this man is God's son and has done what God sent him to do. My death forces me to face the resurrection of Jesus. No longer is it a bald fact of history for me. It is of crucial significance for everyone who faces their own death honestly. Jesus has already risen. If I know him now, I will know him then. Ashton could face death with courage and strong hope, because he knew where he stood with King Jesus. And so can you and I. Because for the Christian, death is not the end. It becomes rather a kind of sleep. As Paul writes, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So while we can be truly safe now, our deliverance comes ultimately at the resurrection of the dead, when King Jesus returns in glory to claim his kingdom. What will our experience of resurrection be like? We'll explore that next week. For now, we only need to recognise God's declaration made on Easter Sunday concerning our Lord Jesus. You are my son today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Your throne is forever and ever. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Amen.